0: In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM970
1: 970 and 97.1 FM.
0: WATH
1: 42 degrees right now, they say it's gonna get up to 54. It's gonna be in the mid-70s over the weekend. Hey, it's a special edition today. Longtime friend, Roxanne Melee Brunei, I love saying that. She's our guest today. Had our grass mowed outside here at the station for the first time yesterday. And man, was that a job. It was so tall. We'll get it in good shape here soon. And really, when you know, when you think about it, when, when we have Roxanne on, first of all, uh, she helps us um, assign, uh, what do I want to say, uh, find some interesting guests once in a while. But um, she herself is a knockout when it comes to um, gardening and lawn care and flowers and just all that sort of thing so we have her on herself also once in a while so uh, good morning good morning whoops i got you on the wrong mic there do it again Good good morning there you sound
2: better okay
1: so you know first of all before we get into the heart of the matter um
2: what what what
1: brought you to athens ohio
2: a job, yeah. <laughs> the typical thing. Uh, so my husband Carl and I were in North Carolina, and he had been a postdoc at uh, UNC uh, Chapel Hill as well as Duke. And then he became a research faculty, mm-hmm. and Ohio University offered him a position as a tenure-track faculty member. And when we came, I think that we just fell in love. It was the hills. It was the people. It was just the close community. I must admit, I think I was a little bit nervous first. I was a city girl. I had been raised in New York City, just 20 minutes above New York City, and then had lived just outside of L.A. Mm. But I had a feeling that, you know, after living in North Carolina for a while, that I just wanted more of a small-town feeling to raise my uh, son but i had been working for a pharmaceutical company and we had been very fortunate that we were able to sell it and so i thought you know i've just gone through a couple years of really you know 60 hour plus weeks and Mm. i was exhausted and i was just like i'm just gonna take time off but the physics chair lewis wright at the time offered me um an interview with the research division and I am incredibly fortunate, Dave. I get to live vicariously through the faculty and the staff and the student research and creative activity. I guess I would say that I oversee the university's portfolio for investing in research and creative activity, but that basically means that I get to read 300 proposals plus a year and talk to everybody. About what they're passionate about and you know what they're doing and I'm I'm just so lucky to be able to do that
1: well it shows I mean in your voice and the way you speak of it um, but 300 proposals holy cow
2: it's a lot of reading and you know something happened this year um, It it touches on gardening as well as reading. So uh, I was out in the garden early in the spring, and I think that you really can be out of shape for gardening. Um, My wrists always hurt, but I think mentally also you forget, you know, that gardening can be a little treacherous. So here there was this branch that was snagged up in the tree, and, you know, I have the personality, oh, it's stuck, I'll pull harder. Well, that happened a few times until it let go, and then I fell back on my head on the driveway and I was fine there were other people around so you know I toughed it up and iced my head but the next day I woke up and the room was spinning Uh-oh. and everything and went to the hospital and sure enough concussion and one of the hardest things Dave was I was not able to read for a month, really? Yeah, uh, my eyes just would not track on a line. Uh, I was really fortunate that I could still read spreadsheets because a lot of my life are spreadsheets, but I could not read a paragraph. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was that was a time where you know gardening negatively impacted my, my and, job. and how long
1: ago was this incident?
2: Um, that was uh, two and a half months ago, okay. so not yeah. that long ago.
1: But uh, back to normal now? What back to
2: normal now. I'm just so grateful. Yeah.
1: Well, that explains why you didn't answer an email or two from me. <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> I will I'm, be I'm, honest I'm, with you. I'm I, teasing. I, No, I, I, I fell behind a little bit on yeah. my reading, including emails. And I usually respond within 24 hours. Oh, As yeah. you know, I try. But, yeah, no, I, it, was, I was, it was tough. <laughs> I was
1: fibbing. I... You, I just. I mean, it is a joke. Uh,
2: well, I think other people would probably say, though, that is what happened. And, okay. and I felt really guilty. But um, I guess I learned that when your body, you know, just needs a little bit of rest, it's going to take the rest, whether or not you want to give it to it.
1: I asked you, um, first of all, the, the topic we love to talk with you about several times a year is gardening. Yes. And um, the... Today you gave me a sheet to look at, and it's mm-hmm. basically two months of of what you do in those two months. And I'm betting that you could produce such a thing for all twelve months.
2: Yes, and yeah. there are actually really good lists out there. Almost every extension office has a list for their state, and uh, but I I think that. Athens is a little bit different. And you know what? This year is a little bit different. The season has just been unusual. I think that anybody who lives in southeast Ohio knows that, you know, blink and the weather's going to change. But um, like tonight, for example, we have a freeze warning. But at the beginning of the year, with all the rain, I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, the spring ephemerals they're coming up early, and then all of a sudden, we got some cold weather and they shut down. Mm-hmm. And so, lots of plants that don't normally bloom at the same time were blooming. Uh, weeds were coming out early, but um, a lot of my plants, my perennials, are actually late. Um, We have a plant sale and we'll talk about that later, but you know, getting ready for that was almost impossible because as I was trying to pull plants, I kept on having snow Mm -hmm. (laughs) Snow and hail and everything else that we've had this year. So yeah, we have a list of things to talk about for gardening, but I think you always have to contextualize it to the year that you're having. And this has been a bit of a different year.
1: Well, we're nearly through April. Today being the twenty seventh of April. Yes. But um, in in your April list. Yes. Okay. Well, well, so first of all, weed.
2: Yeah, actually, even before weed, Dave, I want to say breathe.
1: Breathe. Yeah, breathe. Whoops. What happened, Scott? See her her mic quit. Let's see here.
2: Ah, here we go. I'm back. Okay. So the first thing in April is always breathe. It's the beginning of uh, the gardening season for a lot of people where they're first going out. And of course, the first thing that they see in their garden, not beautiful flowers, typically weeds. Yeah. And you just want to cry. But I want to tell you weeds are a good thing. It means that the soil is warming up and that Things are going to start growing. But if you get on top of the weeds early and really pull them out, just don't rip them off by the tops, but get those roots out, you'll be really happy you did. And the other thing that a lot of people do when they weed is they also mulch. And you wanna mulch for a couple different reasons. One, it locks in the moisture, but it also suppresses the weeds that, you know, didn't pull them all out and they start growing they'll get covered by this mulch and uh, hopefully they won't grow as vigorously but also a lot of mulch has you know nutrients in it so you're feeding your plants at the same time
1: no you know there's compost yes and then there's mulch Yes. are those often the same thing
2: okay a mulch is something that you top dress that you put on top of the soil and as I said it can be a weed barrier can lock in moisture it can also be a nutrient compost can be used as a mulch so you can top dress your soil with compost and that will do everything that I said plus it'll add nutrients but compost can also be used just as soil so when you're You know, potting up things, you know, you're getting ready for your veg bed. You can throw your compost in there, and it's a great soil with great nutrients. And,
1: and, you know, when I think of mulch, I think of basically different colored kinds of wood chips.
2: Yes, that's one type.
1: And um, we generally, I don't know, late spring uh, mulch. Mm -hmm. places around the you know yeah but um, compost now when I think of compost mercy any number of things get thrown in this pile yes and um,
2: all right well let's talk about mulch and compost okay
1: particularly compost I'm interested
2: all right I'll go to mulch first and then I promise I'll come back to compost okay so mulch is basically that top dressing to block light and to lock in moisture and a lot of people do use uh, wood chips, and if you want them to last a long time, you tend to use the larger wood chips because they don't break down as quickly. If you want to improve your soil and add nutrients, you tend to use the double-shredded uh, wood mulch. Right. But you can also put stones. Stones can be used as a mulch or gravel. So there are, and some people even use, you know, the shredded tire um, mats as a mulch, because that is a weed suppressor, and it does lock in moisture. It doesn't add nutrients, obviously. Now, compost. So compost is when you take approximately 50% brown material, so that's uh, dead leaves, dead grass, uh, cardboard, and then you have 50% green material like live plants, weeds, um, grass clippings. And you put them together and then the insects and the microbes come in and they break it down and they make this lovely dark black soil that has amazing nutrients but also really good soil structure. And the great thing about compost is, is that If you put it on top of the soil you don't actually have to dig it into your soil for the nutrients to get into the ground instead what happens is when you add all this lovely fluffy uh, compost the worms and the microbes and other things come up from the soil below and then bring it back down as a matter of fact what we're learning is, is that a lot of people like to do what's called the no dig method where you lay the compost on top of your soil and you never dig it in. Because if, when you dig it in, you actually destroy a lot of the soil substructure. What do I mean by that? A lot of people know that you need soil for plants to, you know, grow, unless you're doing hydroponics. But what they don't know is is that the roots of the plants also need air as well as water. And so soil particles are not just directly touching each other. There are pockets where there's air and there's water. And when you dig too much, like rototilling, you can actually destroy that uh, that substructure. And, you know, if you have sand, well, that's not as bad. But if you have clay, it's really easy to destroy it. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you go out into the garden and you're so excited about digging that you dig when it's too wet in the clay. And then all of a sudden you get this compacted
1: dirt yeah. clods
2: that you can never get apart again. Right. That's because you've you know ruined the soil structure. So compost is really good for adding nutrients and blocking you know uh, the weeds and, and holding the moisture. But it's also really good for adding soil structure
1: well um, okay so um we i i I do a lot of mowing right
2: yes oh
1: that's very
2: we're gonna have to talk about that i know it's very important to you
1: and um (laughs) and then i walk around with a little uh, um not i don't spray everything i just hit spots here and there Mm Mm-hmm. we're we're dandelions and other Mm -hmm. things you do you do that or is that like a no-no
2: okay you know I'm not gonna say that it's a no-no but I am gonna say that I don't do it Um,
1: so you you would prefer to have that old-fashioned sort of fork thing
2: you know, I'm no, I'm not even going to say that, Dave. I'm not going to talk against people who want to use some chemical sprays. Um, well, I
1: mean, how do you keep dandelions out of your yard?
2: Uh, okay, I'll get to that, I promise. Okay. <laughs> um, so for me, um, right now, I am turning my lawn into a wildflower meadow. Right. Uh, and so that means that I can't use herbicides because then it would kill... Uh, some of the emerging flowers. So when I do get something that I term as a weed, yes, I I do go and I, uh, you know, take what I call a hoary-hoary knife, which I absolutely love. It's um, about a six-inch long serrated uh, knife. It's only about two inches wide. And it's really good for getting out deep tap roots like dandelions. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm a little bit younger than you, sorry to say that, Dave. Don't kick me <laughs> and I can still get on the ground and and reasonably well get back up. Um, so I think at some point though, I'm gonna have to rethink how much I you know am willing to do the physical labor as compared to you know maybe what you do. If people decide to use herbicides, what I would say is read the label. there are herbicides out there that are very short acting uh, that they are very specific. They now have ones where you know you can paint on the leaves and that way it only affects that plant. Where I think we can get into problem with sprays is especially if you're not doing it on a very still day and then unbeknownst to you, it could spray back on you. Or also it can spray on other areas so I really like the new systems where you just dab it mm. on the plant itself because the way that these herbicides work is is that as the plant is actively growing it takes it in through its leaves brings it down to the roots and then it kills the plant so I guess that's the first point is you know only use these herbicides when the plants are in Active growth, if you're doing that. Um, Also, read the labels. So many people use these and they think, you know, if one is good, then two is better. In other words, higher dose is better. And that's not true. Uh, But also, it can be dangerous. You know, some of these you want to, you know, wear gloves, wash your hands, uh, wear a mask, depending on what that label says. So I'm not actually not against using herbicides. When it's appropriate, I'm actually fighting a really dense thicket of poison ivy. Mm. And um, I had a friend who is pretty resistant to it come in and get the majority of it out. But there's are still residuals. I mean, these plants are big enough that they have giant vines going up trees. And I have had to resort to using some herbicides.
1: Well... Um... Anyway, I, I'm just amazed. First of all, the thing I have has a hose and a, a long-reaching nozzle, so yeah. the actual spray tip is probably four or five inches away from the plant. Yeah. And so you j- and you just push a button, and there's a little electric battery that mm-hmm. pumps it. That- a tiny spray.
2: I know exactly what product that you're talking about, and forgive me for dancing around the subject. I always feel like I shouldn't call out a particular brand. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's um, all right. But yeah, uh, I that's actually what I use for the, the poison it, ivy well. itself.
1: If I use it in the morning, by um, before it gets dark, I can see that it's had an effect.
2: Yes, it should work within 12 to 24 hours. It's amazing. I will give a shout out to my herpetologist friends though. There are uh, certain times of the year, and one of of them is right now, where we have a lot of toads and frogs that Mm -hmm. are migrating Mm -hmm. through our properties. And they are particularly sensitive to some herbicides. So if you know that you, you know, have these creatures in your garden, you definitely want to consider when you're using those herbicides, maybe a little bit before those migrations or after. And also you never want to use those around a pond because they will kill your fish.
1: Uh, uh, Something here I read, again, under your list of things to do during April. Yes. Yes start feeding indoor plants
2: yeah what the world
1: aren't we supposed to be feeding them anyway
2: okay so uh, what happens is is that even indoor plants need to take a break really so when yeah typically um september october to about march you'll notice that your indoor plants probably are not putting on as much growth as they do during the spring and the summer and if you start feeding your plants when they're not in active growth, that can actually be a problem for them. The so nutrients I, build up and it's bad.
1: Does that mean during that period you should only hit them with a dash of water?
2: Yep. So typically in the fall and the winter, unless you have really high light levels and you know the right temperatures, You don't want to water them as much. You want to back off on the water, and you definitely don't want to be feeding them. But now, as even the houseplants are reacting to the higher light levels and the warmth in your house, you want to start feeding them. And a lot of people just forget to feed their houseplants, and then they wonder why they struggle.
1: Well, um, you, you Another point you made here in this list, and there's, I don't know, 15 items in the month of April. Yes. Clean gardening tools. Now, I never clean my gardening tools much, Uh, but you you made such a point of it. Is there something I'm missing?
2: I think that there is, Dave. But, you know, I bet you are one of those meticulously neat people who... You know when you're done with your gardening tools you probably rinse them under the water and then you let them dry before putting them back in the tool shed
1: I wipe them down but I don't do all that
2: well that see that's good though Uh, there are other people more like me I must admit I'm using them constantly and then I just at the end of the year they are coated in a little bit of mud Uh, maybe you know for my hand pruners they're not the mechanism is a little bit stuck uh, and then also they're not as sharp any tool that isn't as sharp as it should be whether it be a saw or hand pruners or a shovel can actually be dangerous and so what you want to do is you want to clean off your you know shovels Uh, you want to oil them a little bit you want to take some sandpaper and get off any rust uh, oil them you know in their mechanisms and if you know how to sharpen a tool that's great but otherwise there are places in town that will sharpen your tools for you and i actually do that every year have my tools professionally sharpened Um, occasionally the master gardeners will have uh, somebody who knows how to sharpen tools at their booth at the farmers market? So I would look for that as well. But mm. I, for me, I always it's like having a brand new tool when they give it back to me and it's all shiny and you know sharp. I, I just feel like I'm ready to start the year off again.
1: Well, so all I'm asking is this: more for operational purposes, or can dirty tools affect plants?
2: Well, you know um, what I mean. Yeah. So if you dug up a plant that was infected, you know, had a disease, then theoretically, yes, you could transfer, you know, those microbes and that disease into another plant. So especially if you're digging up a plant that has been diseased, you want to disinfect it. And the way that you do it is you take nine parts water and one part bleach. And you just submerge the tool in there for Mm. a minute, and that's plenty, and then just rinse it off with water. So the first thing is, yes, it it can affect the plants. But the other thing is, is that it genuinely can affect you. If you have a tool, and for example, you know, loppers, and they're not sharp, you can do yourself some damage by you know putting too much pressure on that tool when it's not cutting right uh, and then you know hurt yourself but you could also hurt the plant because instead of cutting the plant it'll just mash it mm. you always want to make clean cuts clean cuts always heal the best
1: all right now um so in april you're recommending that um, um Things like potatoes, onions, carrots, lettuce, mm-hmm. um, those, those you call cold hardy, right?
2: Right. Those are the ones that can take temperatures down to 28 degrees, even a little bit lower sometimes. Um, I typically will plant my potatoes and onions on St. Patrick's Day. It's just a thing in my family. Um, This year, though, that was not really a good day to do it. So I got mine in in early April. But all of these uh, you can do through April. If you wait too long to plant your potatoes, um, then you might not get a very big crop. Uh, the onions can go in uh as late as early May. Carrots, you can sow a couple different batches. There are different varieties that are um cold and heat tolerant. But for the most part, carrots really grow better and lettuce really grows better when there are cooler temperatures. As the temperatures rise, both of those, you know, tend to either bolt or to stop growing.
1: Okay. I got to ask. Yeah. Are, you, are you a foodie?
2: I am okay, mm-hmm. so are you a cookie? yeah, I am
1: okay mm-hmm. now <clears throat> uh so gardening for mm-hmm. food purposes is really an important part of your life, right?
2: It is I bought a large storage freezer in my basement just to store my uh fruits and vegetables,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, so um. You know, every year I try and say, only grow what you are going to eat. And then I go, but it's so much fun to share things. And then I also go, you know, but what happens? I only need one, two tomato plants, but what happens if it dies? Oh, I'll plant six. And then when I have six, then I don't have the heart to kill them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I end up with this glut, and so I'm making sauces. And uh, it, it's it's fun, but sometimes I think I create a burden for myself, so I'm trying to stop that bad habit.
1: Well, uh, you know, we used to be, I, when I say foodies, I mean um, make a lot of stuff.
2: hmm
1: But as you get older,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's... it's um, I don't know. We're just now more inclined to eat out, and and you know, with friends like you and Carl or whoever. Yeah. And. Um,
2: but but Dave, I think that's a wonderful thing. Going through different phases of your life is a wonderful thing. And honestly, I go through different phases in my life even within a year. There are times where I am so excited to get back in the garden mm-hmm. and, you know, to start cooking everything. And then, honestly, by August, I'm like, can it just go away? And <laughs> if I eat one more zucchini, I think I'm going to scream. Uh, okay. So, you know, mixing it up is not a bad thing. And also, you know, going out to dinner supports, uh, supports the local economy and all, sure. and all the farmers and growers out there. So I think you're doing a good thing.
1: Is it, okay, this takes a year. When you're yeah. when you're such a, a um, gardening type person, mm-hmm. do you get depressed any month of the year?
2: I am a very light sensitive person. So if we have a really dreary fall and winter, I have a really hard time with that. And yeah. uh, my mom lives in Florida and I will sneak down there, yes to visit her, but also just to get some sun. Yeah. The other thing is, is I came from much warmer climes. So I was living in California and then I was in North Carolina. So when I came here, I really wasn't particularly cold tolerant and I still am not. But now I try and force myself to go out into the garden in the winter as long as it's 50 degrees and sunny. Well,
1: that's not all that often.
2: No, but it's amazing what a difference it has made for me just to get out in the light and to putter around in the soil. For some reason, I am just deeply linked to the soil. Uh, When I get stressed at work and I have to just ruminate about things and, you know, think them over, Mm. I either cook or I garden. And those two things really help keep me from, you know, getting too inward focused.
1: I get it. You make a big point about turning the compost file.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Not my favorite.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So, you know, I take, um, oh, potted plants that have died. And Mm -hmm. I'll take that soil and I'll put it in a pile out of of that Mm -hmm. planter or whatever it was and um um well anyway i never turn that soil i just use it as i need it you're saying i'm doing something
2: wrong no what it is 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 that if you do compost and you don't turn it what you're relying on are the microbes and the worms to do all the work for you and getting everything up and down Uh, but and so if you do that, then compost typically, in Athens, will take about a year to you know, totally break down. But if you turn it, you can get compost in about eight weeks. Hmm. And so what it does is it just allows more air, and it allows a more even distribution of water. Uh, in order for compost to break down, it needs to be pretty evenly moist. And what happens is that if you just let it sit there, very often the bottom of the compost is moist, but the top can be dry. And so, yeah, if you're willing to wait, Dave, then that's fine not to turn it. But for me, I use a lot of compost. And so I'm just trying to, you know, be more effective. And I actually wasn't a big compost person until my son Ryan he's now 25 but when he was in grade school they were learning about compost and he was all excited and we were going to do this right because i had been doing it wrong (laughs) and you know he did the 50 uh you know uh dried leaves and the 50 percent of the grass and then he was all excited about saving all the clippings from you know the lettuce and the onions and everything just went out into the compost pile, and I've been doing it ever since, and it's it's really saved me a lot of mo- money on buying potting soil, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just fun, too. Uh, I happen to be a person who loves bugs, so I will go out into my compost pile just to dig around and see what's out there. I know most people don't do that. Uh, but... Now, wait a minute. <laughs> you love bugs. I do. When I was a little kid, I would go and hunt up any bug. And even though I didn't pull their legs off or supposedly torture them, I would imagine that they probably thought it was torture when I was putting them in all these glass jars and examining them. Uh, Yeah, I'm just fascinated by bugs.
1: And this still is uh, a thing? It's
2: it's still totally a thing, yes. It's uh, actually bizarre. Um, I love butterflies. I love beetles you know even the little roly polies i'm no. always fascinated by them getting them to roll up and then knocking them around like little marbles um yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just a thing
1: what is a dead head bulb
2: oh <laughs> okay so when you have especially daffodils you will notice that once they are done flowering on their stalk they get these seed heads and if you wanted your daffodils to create other daffodils in other words self sow then that's great but it takes a tremendous amount of energy for the plant to do that and so what is usually better is you just pull off that seed head before it gets too big and that way as the bulb and you know as the leaves die back mm-hmm. they'll take all the energy back into your bulb and so you'll have a bigger bulb for next year and a lot of people don't deadhead their daffodils, and so that's one of the reasons why they might bloom really well one year, but then they won't bloom well the next year.
1: Okay um well, so here it is um, what we say april twenty seventh yes, and uh, so May's right around the corner.-hmm. Um, so this move to the month of the May and some of the things on that list. Shop. Shop. Shop.
2: My absolute number one favorite thing is to go to stores, you know, by May 15th, which is considered our last freeze date. You can start planting your annuals. And I do grow a lot of things from seeds. uh, But I also grow a lot of plants. And there are a lot of tempting plants to get. Wait a minute,
1: wait a minute. (laughs) if If I were a gardener, yes, I would want perennials
2: you know, you know
1: why you know, although I realize annuals can be more colorful and more uh lush and all of that sort of thing,, mm-hmm. but then they're gone.
2: They are, but I actually garden now with three things in my garden. I know a lot of people have separate vegetable plots, and I do that too. But there are a lot of beautiful ornamental vegetables like Swiss chard, and even tomato plants. I find their leaves are really interesting. So I will put them in my garden along with my perennials. So the nice thing about perennials, as you said, is they come back every year, but a typical perennial will bloom for four to six weeks. And it is really hard to get enough variety, without looking like a mishmash, you know, to go anywhere from April all the way through first frost. Mm. And so for me, annuals are plants, you know, where if you have a hole, like, for example, if you have daffodils, eventually they will die back, but you don't want to go digging a hole there and putting in a perennial, right? Because you're going to dig up your bulbs. But the bulbs are typically hmm, six inches deep, and so that's just enough room on top to have an annual. So I put a lot of annuals on top of my daffodils. Hmm. Yeah, so I have an intermix, So I have annuals and perennials, and I also have some vegetables.
1: Wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think of the work that you put into this. And, and, you know, I mean, it must be stunning to look at. So, you know, speaking of which there are some events coming up hmm. and one is at your home
2: it is we're hosting the deer resistant and native plant sale and this year we decided to do it as a hybrid event so the online ordering uh, the orders are due May 1st on Sunday starting at 9 a.m and so
1: that, that's got to be done online right so
2: that's done online and if you go to no dot com no
1: spaces
2: no spaces it will have a, uh, a file that shows all the plants that we have it for each plant it has an image it shows what it looks like it describes you know what conditions it likes And uh, So you can go through it and in addition to deer-resistant plants We also have a lot of natives and a lot of natives that are Deer-resistant, but if you don't want to order online and you're willing to see what's left over Then on May 7th and 8th starting at 9 a.m You can come in person to my house. It's 171 Longview Heights and you can shop for plants and we, Lindsay uh, Seacrest, my friend and I, as we say, we're two ladies with plant problems. Mm. And so, what we do is we clear out a lot of things out of our garden, you know, that are just getting out of hand. Mm. You know, uh, we also bring in a lot of liners. We try new things. We really try and keep the prices really reasonable because we consider this more outreach than anything. A lot of people in Athens have basically given up on gardening because they can't garden with the deer. And uh, I had been doing the deer resistance studies for the state of Ohio for a few years. And I just really want to show people that it, it is, it's not impossible to garden in Athens despite the deer so uh, that's one of the sales and then uh, the Athens Gardening Club is having an in-person sale on May 7th from 9 to 11 at 44 Elmwood Place and they always have some really interesting unusual plants Um, they have sun perennials they also have some wonderful shade perennials so I would encourage people to do that And then the Master Gardeners have their in-person sale at the Athens City Pool on May 14th from 9 to 12. And that's when all the Master Gardeners in Athens pull plants out of their gardens. And the variety is amazing. But what's even more amazing is, is that at all of these sales, honestly, you can talk to people. Oh, yeah about plants, especially the Master Gardener Sale. They are wonderful about educating you about anything to do with gardening, whether it has to do with that plant that you've just picked up or if you have another gardening question, they will help you. Uh, So
1: let me just um, reiterate mm -hmm. one more time. If you want to find folks, you our listeners, if you'd like to find a list of these various events, One more time. Where should they go on the web?
2: Okay, so if you go to nodeerplantsale.com, it will have information for our event, uh, the Deer Resistant and Native Plant Sale, but it will also have information on the other plant sales as well. Fair enough. Uh, Dave, I also want to talk, if it's okay, about the Athens County Humane Society. They're having uh, two wonderful events where you can actually go and look at beautiful gardens. So on May 21st from 2 to 4, they're opening up the Zenner House, uh, 30 Utah Place, and they're having live entertainment and auctions and raffles, and you can get uh, tickets at the AthensHumane.org events website and then on may 22nd they are having their annual uh, garden tour again but what's great is is that they've moved it from the end of june to may 22nd so you're going to be able to see gardens at a different stage than when you normally do the tickets are uh fifteen dollars you can get more information at athenshumane.org slash events the gardens are in amesville and in athens and i have just been asked to be on the tour for next year so i'm cool. looking forward to hosting the tour again
1: well just you probably didn't know this but angela marks was on the show yesterday about all these
2: things nice so excellent
1: just um, we just uh, what do you call it reinforce that
2: well i will say this nothing helps you to imagine the possibilities for your garden like going out and seeing somebody else's garden. You might not love their garden, but you'll probably find something that you go, "Oh yeah, I can incorporate that. I can do that."
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um what's what's more important to you, flowers or green?
2: I as I, as I've gotten older, I have become a little bit sun direct sun intolerant. Uh, my husband laughs, and I'm a bit of a vampire. Uh, what that means is that I tend to stick more in the shady parts of my garden. I don't know why I've become more light sensitive, and in those shady gardens, you, I,
1: you mean you get sunburns easily?
2: It's it's not only sunburns. I tend to get headaches. Okay. I just okay. tend to not. Feel quite right. Um, And so I love my shade garden and I love the greens, the common greens, and leaf shape is something that I love. I am particularly in love with um, ferns. So I love water features. So I have uh, several water features now, Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of ferns and a lot of. just native shrubs and that has brought in a tremendous amount of wildlife into my garden um, I like a lot of people lost a lot of ash trees and and I've just been replacing uh, trees in my woods you know with little saplings or, or larger things and so I've been spending a lot more time in my shaded areas so yes I love colors I've gotten a little bit gaudier i think as i've gotten older i'm really into orange right now that's like my favorite color with some purple but i also love my greens
1: you know um uh you you talked about love wildlife Mm
2: -hmm. that doesn't include deer by the way well there's
1: that's (laughs) where i'm going here um (laughs) You know, how can you make something that's attractive to other forms of wildlife, but not deer?
2: Well, um, there are some plants that will be eaten by deer as well as rabbits, and now I have a groundhog. But there are...
1: What's what's the groundhog's name?
2: Harvey. Mm -hmm. Harvey, okay. I can't believe you actually knew I named him. Um, no, I just guessed. yeah, yeah his name is Harvey. Okay. Um, but I'm not actually sure he's a boy or a girl or if it's even just one. I'm beginning to think it might that Harvey might actually have a twin. Oh. Um, but I don't know. you know there are plants that the deer particularly like and sometimes I, I'm not willing to give those up. So I have a uh, fenced in area. It's pretty small and so I have those plants in there like uh, day lilies you know they're just and hostas Mm -hmm. deer will eat those but uh, then for the rest of the garden I try and focus on plants that they don't like and it's a matter of would they rather be at my house where you know the plants don't taste as good as my neighbors so it's a bit of a competition that way there's no such thing as a plant that is totally deer resistant Um, I had an aconitum which is also called monk's hood which is a severe poison um, and I don't recommend for people to have that if you have small kids but um, so the deer ate it and it died over three days we watched it die which was the sad deer died. yeah it, it ate the plant it ate a lot of the plant and then it died uh, so I mean they'll even eat things that are poisonous sometimes Uh, The males are notorious for trying anything, and then if they don't like it, they'll just rip it up and leave it on the ground, and it's almost like they're saying, try again, plant something I like. And uh, the females are pretty desperate in the spring uh, when they're really trying to bulk up uh, as they're, you know, having their fawns. So, yeah, I do love wildlife. I I even love deer in other people's yards, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I live on Longview Heights, as I said, and yeah. we've had some really bad traffic accidents, uh, two bicycle accidents, multiple car accidents. We have a pretty uh, thick herd of deer. Um, right now I think the population is pretty stable and they, they seem really healthy, but at times they have overpopulated and uh, they've been a real problem for a lot of gardeners in our area.
1: If someone wanted to get involved with um, people such as you who love gardening.
2: Like the Master Gardeners?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's one organization. Uh, um, there there's also
2: be- the Athens Gardening Club. There's Project Plant.
1: Okay, so... Um,
2: there also is the... Are they
1: listed anywhere where one could go and find out how to get involved?
2: Well, uh, so if you go to where we're advertising the plant sale, uh, we do talk about the Athens Gardening Club and the Master Gardeners. So uh, and once
1: again, can... that site is no sale dot com dot com.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, wait a minute. Did I say that right? Yep. OK.
2: So no deer plant dot com. Yeah,
1: but no spaces.
2: <laughs> no spaces.
1: OK. Um And then these different uh, local outfits uh, uh, yeah. are all mentioned there. And you can um, sort them out and get involved.
2: Good. I hope people do.
1: Well, let's. we've got two minutes left. Let's do one more time a list of these various events coming up. And um, we got uh, May 1st, May 7th, May 8th. Um, those are three that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: right. So the May 1st one is order online, and then the 7th and 8th is in person, and nice. that's for the deer-resistant plant sale.
1: So what you've ordered online, you pick up on May 7th and 8th.
2: That's right. Okay. Uh, but if you didn't order online, you are still welcome to come out on May 7th and 8th if you're willing to you know, take what's left, and there, there should be a uh, decent stock left. And then on the same day, May 7th, the Athens Gardening Club is having their in-person sale, 44 Elmwood Place. And then the Master Gardeners are having their sale uh, May 14th at the Athens City Pool parking lot from 9 to 12. So plenty of excuses to get out there and be a plantaholic.
1: What... um In a a very short phrase, Mm -hmm. what do you do at Ohio University?
2: So in a short phrase, I oversee the uh, research and creative activity funds for faculty and students and staff. So we uh, invest money in their research and creative activity. I also host the Student Expo, which is the showcase of student research and creative activity. Uh, That was a few weeks ago. We also do the science cafes, and uh, as my boss says, projects as
1: needed. So which college would this be under?
2: So this would be the vice president for research.
1: Okay. And that person is?
2: Joe Shields, wonderful boss, very kind intelligent one of the most intellectually curious people i know
1: rox it's always a pleasure having you in here roxanne melee Brunei. i love saying that there's such a flow to it you know <laughs> and um uh, and then also go ahead and help me find some other guests too once in a while okay we're Absolutely. out of time okay bye-bye In our
0: 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FN. W A T H FN. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez, a prisoner swap between the U.S. and Russia at the height of the Ukraine war. Correspondent Cami McCormick is at the Pentagon. Senior administration officials say Trevor Reed is now on his way to the U.S. and is in good spirits. He's spoken to his family. The Marine veteran was arrested by the Russians in 2019 for assaulting an officer, and his family says he's been in poor health. That was one of the reasons these talks took on an added urgency, and a convicted Russian drug smuggler was released from a U.S. prison. He's now in Russian hands. But officials insist these discreet negotiations, as they called them, did not involve Ukraine or any wider discussions, and the negotiations had no effect on U.S.-Russia relations. In Ukraine, hey! Hey! protests in the city of Kherson amid reports the fighting is spilling over the western border. Demetrio Liebush is a member of Moldova's parliament. Our analysis points that this is just an attempt to escalate tensions, and we haven't been excluding such a scenario since day one. EU countries are shipping gas to fellow members Poland and Bulgaria after Russia's Gazprom cut off supplies when the two refused to pay in rubles. A former top U.S. diplomat is being laid to rest today. President Biden, former President Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton will all pay tribute to Madeleine Albright. Her funeral begins next hour at Washington National Cathedral. She died of cancer last month at the age of 84. Jury selection is resuming in the trial of the Parkland Florida school shooter a day after an entire.